So as I said, tonight we go forward in Judges chapter 6 with a new judge. So we've gone from Othniel and Shamgar and Ehud and to Barak and Deborah, and now we get Gideon. And the cycle of Judges is the people are in sin, worshiping false gods, doing bad things. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And then they get chastened for it, because whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he loves Israel because they're his people of covenant. Then they have hard times. God allows and raises up an oppressor against them to break their rebellion, to bring them to repentance. They cry out to the Lord. God raises a deliverer, and they get deliverance. This is the cycle of the book of of Judges. Uh, Oppression, crying out, deliverance, and it's a cycle. And it goes on for about 400 years, from about 1500 B.C. to 1100 B.C. in that early part of Jewish history in their promised land after Joshua passed away and then the subsequent judges and before the time of the kings beginning with Saul and King David around 1100 B.C. So here we are as we pick it up in chapter 6. We're going to get a new, we're going to get another evaluation of what the political, social environment was like, spiritual environment, and then we're going to get the new judge who is Gideon. So chapter 6, verse 1, we read this. Then the children of Israel did evil on the side of the Lord. This is after 40 years of rest with Deborah and Barak. What they brought was a blessing. But then the children of Israel did evil on the side of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. So that's the entire length of Israel. And leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of those, all those who oppressed you and drove them out also before you and I gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So this is the issue time and time again in the book of Judges where God had delivered them, made them the head, not the tail, put them in the place of blessing, And he gave him his law, his word to obey. And on a national level, because everyone just chose to do what was right in their own eyes, as a collective whole, they turned their back on the Lord. And sometimes you're like, maybe like me, when you read the book of Judges, you're like, why are they worshiping the God of the Amorites? Why are they worshiping the Asterisk, which is the God of fertility and Baal, you know, God of increase, God of war, they offered children to him. Molech, they offered children to him. Why did they do all this? And why why do people in America do what they do? You know, why do people do what they do in Europe and in Russia and in Latin America? We are sinners, and we are prone towards sin, and we're fascinated with evil, and we are drawn, our flesh, it says each one's drawn away by the desires of their heart in the book of James, 
And our flesh is never satisfied, and the flesh and the spirit war against each other. So if we're not building ourselves up in the spirit, in the church age and who we are now in 2021, we're going to move toward the flesh. And we might not have their little gods and do their things, but we, we do the same thing. Humanity does the same things that these gods represent. Humanity does and worships just in a slightly different way, but the core essence is identical. There's nothing new under the sun. So it's an obedience issue. And since the church is the people of covenant in 2021, our application is, hey, the church needs to obey God. The church needs to be seeking God's word, seeking the mind of the Lord, seeking to be filled with the spirit, have the spirit come upon them. We need to have the mind of Christ in our leadership, which we just taught on Saturday night with when leaders lead in Israel. And we just need to let God be true and every man a liar. We need to let God's word speak and we need to obey it. And when we come to things we don't know, we need to fall back on what we do know and just stand consistent with the word of God, guiding and governing our hearts as a compass to our soul, our mind, and our spirit. These guys, they just, they just rebelled. They rebelled against God's word. They just didn't want to do it. They were not willing nationally in their covenant to obey it. And the church has to be careful not to make the same mistake but lest I feel like I'm judging Jerry the church, I just need to look in the mirror and make sure I don't make the same mistake, which is the same application for all of us. They just, you have not obeyed my voice. We want to obey God's voice. And his word is his voice. Now, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belongs to Joash, the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, and he's talking to the angel of the Lord, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And were all the, his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the smite of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, of that tribe, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. What a great passage of Scripture. I have to tell you, just because I don't normally teach this text, but I met Jeremy Camp teaching this text. The only time I ever spoke in a prison, I was at... uh, down there in the, on the border with Mexico at prison, and Jeremy Camp, a guy named Fred Clark, set us up where I was, Jeremy was going to do the music and I was going to do the preaching. And it was a rainy winter day in January, and I met Jeremy, and I, I kind of like, dude, look at this guy. You know, Jeremy's like 21. And, and like, we had to go in the prison, you know, they shut the doors behind you, the gates, and we were both like, we had never done jail ministry. We're like, dude, we immediately bonded because we're like freaking out, like, dude, we're in a prison, man. And the guys all come out in their orange suits, you know, and that's what we're going, dude. Jeremy's like, what do we do? I'm like, just start singing, man. <laughs> and, and, and just start singing, you know, he'll be coming to College of Glory when he comes, you know, like, just start singing. And it was awesome. And Jeremy did such a great job, and I taught this text to hundreds of men who came out in a light rain and listened to us in their orange suits. I will never forget it. So with that background and my personal experience, this is the call of God on Gideon's life. And it's tonight reminding us of the call of God and of our lives once we give our life to Christ. This really is about the call of God. 
And yet again, that famous Calvary Chapel saying, it's not our ability, but our availability that matters. This, of all texts in the Bible, is perhaps the most prevalent one of that. Because if we could ever make an excuse, because remember what God said to Jeremiah in chapter 1, don't say I'm a youth. Don't say that. Remember, God preemptively told Jeremiah, don't give me an excuse that you're a youth. And when Jesus called Peter, Peter said, according to Luke's gospel, depart from me from a sinful man. Yeah, we know that. And we're still calling you. This is about the sovereignty of God calling an individual to the upper call of God. And as we think of the church age, upper call of God in Christ Jesus, because it was a shadow of things to come for Gideon. And God is calling him to enter into his very purpose of life. I was actually talking with Jennifer today about books that will, will be, if the Lord tarries, books that will be relevant 80 years from now in Christendom. Like Oswald Chambers, My Almost First Highest, right? You people that know Christian history, there's certain books that just pass the test of time. And I actually said that I think Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, will still be very relevant 80 years from now. And I say that because it's a very simple book on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in 20 years ago, it encouraged people that if you make yourself available to Christ, your life will have meaning and purpose, and God has a call in your life. It basically is based upon, like Ephesians 2, that we're his workmanship, and that we're saved by grace, and there's a work to be done. And I thought, you know, thinking ahead, when I'm long gone, what books have come out? There's a few books I said won't, won't be relevant in 80 years. I won't tell you those books. But I thought, purpose-driven life will be because it's, it's biblical, it's very simple and sound, and it tells us that your life matters. It tells us that Rick Warren got lightning in a bottle with that book because it tells us that your life matters, and God has a plan for your life. And that's what every human being on this planet needs to hear, that Christ died for you. And if we'll turn from our sins and obey the Lord, he will come into our life. He will give us power. He'll save us from our sins and give us power to fulfill his calling. It's like Jesus picking the apostles after being up all night, that there is a calling. There is the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus telling John and James, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, along with Peter and Andrew. It's Matthew in the tax collector booth, and Jesus says, follow me. That's what it is. It's the keys in the tree. Hey, come down. I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. And that's what happens here with Gideon. Rick Warren simply said a purpose-driven life, which means basically a life with purpose because we belong to Christ. And we do have absolute purpose in our life in Jesus Christ. The cross doesn't leave us incomplete to meander around groping in the dark for a reason to live, a reason to get up in the morning with abundant life, with joy in our heart, and a vision for the day. There's always a vision for the day in Jesus Christ. Looking unto him who's the author and finisher of our faith. So great a call of witnesses cheering us on as we lay aside every care and sin and weight that so easily ensnares us. That's what this is. And in this story of Gideon, we have the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord most likely here is Jesus. We've talked about this. It's probably a Christophany or a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ literally coming. Because in the Old Testament, there's times when God appears to men... And we know that Jesus is the mediator between God and men. We know that he called himself, I am, of the burning bush. And the burning bush is the angel of the Lord. And so, most likely, this is Jesus appearing in the Old Testament to Gideon. Or it's a supreme angel like Gabriel or Michael. 
but it's the angel of the Lord. Not an angel, but the angel of the Lord. And again, we, we're not going to split hairs on this, but it's very... Because Jesus said, no man has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten of the Father, the Son, he has declared him. So whenever you see people saying they've seen God, God is spirit. What do you say to the woman at the well? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Sam touched on this at the men's study. You guys remember what he's talking about? God is spirit. That was such a profound thought that he had at the McEwen's house a couple weeks ago, that God is spirit, God the Father, but no one has seen him, but the Son has be declared him. And so in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord declares God the Father and angels as messengers. So it's possible, it's probable, but at either rate, this angel of the Lord came and comes in a situation where God had just spoken through a prophet. The prophet had spoken. It's because of disobedience. And now we need revelation. What comes next? We know we're in a bad place. What comes next? And, and the call of God comes next. So when the Lord looks at you and he looks at me on this day, November 2nd, 2021, we look in the mirror and we see all of our failures of the past, our insecurities of the present, and the uncertainty of the future. At least that's what I see when I look in the mirror. And most likely you see those things. But what God sees when he comes to Gideon is what he can become when the Lord is completely in control of his life. The first thing he says to him is, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Let's just think about this. See, Gideon's, okay, these, there are two, we're going to frame it. So this is how God frames Gideon's life this very moment. And this is how Gideon frames his life. All right? So God says, go in this strength of yours. Go, go, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And I was going to say go in the strength of yours. But the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. So here's Gideon, frame his headshot like a passport photo. Heaven, eternity, looks at him and says, mighty man of valor. So we can say tonight for all of us, the women, mighty woman of valor, mighty man of valor. God, God sees what we're meant to be when he has control of our life. And if he has control of our life, there's no stopping us now. It's truly like lead, follower, get out of the way. I mean, his will, he's the final authority, and he looks at each one of his believers on this planet tonight in every dialect, in every time zone, and says, mighty woman, mighty man of valor. He sees what he wants to do, what he can do when our hearts are yielded to him. He sees potential of our life completely consumed by his holy fire. He sees what we can do. But Gideon, he's over here. He's like, let me explain this to you, mighty angel of the Lord. In case you haven't seen my high school yearbook or you don't know my Instagram account or like how it works here, but um, I follow, but I don't post. Like I, I'm the, okay, let me explain this to you, angel of the Lord that knows everything. In the big tribe of Manasseh, there's a big tribe. We're the least important family. Like, there's, you know, there's tens of thousands of families in the tribe of Manasseh. And just in case you don't know, we are the least important family. Like, the least, the least. Like, in the, you know, the, when they do the eighth grade photo with, like, 200 kids, I'm the one you don't see because I'm hiding behind someone. That's me. Okay? And in the least of these families... I am the least of my family. 
So when you look at the roll call of the entire nation of Israel, I am the least significant, important person of covenant on planet Earth on this day. Now, when you say that to the angel of the Lord, you probably really believe it. Mighty man of valor, what God sees. I'm like the biggest nobody you ever knew what Gideon sees. And isn't that what the call of God is? It's not the ability. It's the availability. For it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And God is going to pour out his spirit on Gideon in this very chapter later on. So when you think about what God wants to do in your life, as we're all kind of like 2021, 20, quarter number four, and you think like, okay, because, you know, in November you start to wrap up the year. If you didn't buy the toys, you can't find them now anyway, so forget about the Christmas shopping. Um, but as you think about the end of the year and moving toward Thanksgiving and moving toward Christmas and what the first quarter of 2022 looks like and all the uncertainties and some things that are certain, but most things are uncertain. If you're like me, you think, okay, well, like, what are my goals for the, to close out this year, my personal goals and character, my, our goals with the family, what are my goals with the grandkids and kids, what are my goals with the church, with leadership, pastors and deacons, special events, like, you know, like, I, I, in my phone, I have my little notes, my phone's turned off, but I have the mo- note thing, and I have my goals that I wrote down, and I have to remind myself, because I forget everything in my day plan every day to look at my goals, because if you don't look at your goals, you forget what they are, so I look at my goals every day, it's like, okay, don't get distracted, by what, this, okay, and I have all these things, and as we're, as we're going forward, wrapping up this year, looking at a new year, we're taking inventory, and we're thinking, like, what, you know, we're not meant to play for a tie with the kingdom. And we need to be reminded tonight, it's funny, like, soccer. Soccer is a fascinating sport. And some of you play soccer, and we've had very elite soccer players come through this church. Fantastic soccer players, actually. Very elite, collegiate level. But one thing about soccer is fascinating. Sometimes 0-0 zero, zero is a good result in soccer, especially pool play, like World Cup or... Champions League, so, you know, sometimes like sometimes zero zero works. I'm like, oh, there's no other sport where zero zero works. You know what I'm saying? Like in surfing, zero zero does not work. Zero point zero is like nothing. But sometimes in soccer, you play for a tie, and sometimes you're down one man because it got a red card, someone got tossed. So you're just playing defense and you're playing keep away and you're playing for a tie. You never do that with the kingdom. Jesus didn't die on the cross for a tie, a pool play tie. And zero, zero. Our life does have purpose. It does have meaning. And it's meant to be abundant and full with the things of the kingdom, with tongues of fire like the day of Pentecost on our life. So with Gideon here, it is not about his ability, but the availability. And for us tonight, it's not so much what we've experienced up to this day in our faith but what is it that God wants to do tomorrow in our faith? What is it that he wants to do this week, this month, these last two months? What is it that he wants to do in 2022? That's what we should be asking ourselves. And what if 2022 is the last year of your life? What if December is the last month of our life? 
then what, what ought I let God do in me personally, in my character, and what ought I let God do in me for um, my calling, the body of Christ? See, the story of Gideon reminds us that we just need to be available and not look too long in the mirror, but to look up and to just know that God, what God wants to do, he's going to do, and it's something great, and to be available for it to really be available for it. And that's what this story reminds us of. You know, and give Gideon credit, you know, when the angel says, hey, you've missed valor of yours, go, and he's like, hey, I got, I got a question, like, so where's all the miracles? I mean, you gotta be pretty bold in a conversation with God, the angel of the Lord, and say like, so anyways, as long as you're here in this cave with me, well, what's up with the miracles, man? I've been going to Shabbat every Saturday, and they're talking about this stuff in the den number three over there. And I, I'm not like, I see a land full of Midianites. They consume everything we have. They, they're more than you can. Hey, you know what, Angel Lord? I tried counting camels last week of the Midianites from the top of this hill behind a bush. I couldn't count them all. In fact, it reminded me of locusts. So where are the miracles? See, we can think about what God hasn't done. We can think about what we can't do and how insignificant we are. Or we can simply realize that God looks at us and says, you mighty woman of valor. You mighty man of valor. Because what, is, what does the Lord teach Gideon in this opening scene that he teaches all of us? An army of one with Jesus is a triumphant army. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. An army of one woman is a mighty army with Jesus. An army of one one person willing and available, not focused on their failures or their fears or their shortcomings, but focused on who they are in Christ and his power, that person is a world changer. And it might not be something that the world sees, like, wow, you're so incredible, you did this. It might be like, you're changing the world where people don't even see it. It's off the grid. It's, it can't even be seen, but it'll be seen in eternity. And it's still being cheered on by so great a crowd of witnesses for us. So this is the call of God that we all recognize and realize that God has in our life. And we need to embrace it. And the, the comfort for Gideon was verse 16, surely I will be with you. And you shall have victory as an army of one. What an opening scene for Gideon. So tonight I remind us at Worship Generation, it's not about what God's doing in my life or in the leadership's life, or in other churches of people, leadership that we respect and admire. It's about what is God doing in your life right now? And what's he want to do in your life as you go forward? Because for her who has, more will be given. And to him who has, more will be given. But to him or her who has, uh, even what they have will be taken from them. That is, if they haven't run with it. So it's always we go from glory to glory and faith to faith. For without faith it's impossible to please God. So we, we can't be settled in on our heels playing for a tie in pool play soccer. We have to be pressing. We have to be attacking. We have to be pressing the tempo. Years ago, Jay Carmen, the famous wrestling coach at Calvary Chapel, we were at Starbucks by Costa Mesa there, South Coast Plaza. And it was when I was coaching the, one of the national surf teams, and he goes, yeah, you need, to, you need to impose your will. You need to press, you need to press. Because he, he was a 
uh, NCAA champion wrestler. He's like, you need to press, you need to impose your will on the situation. And when he was telling me this, he's like, literally like, doing this to me. I was like, I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, he's a big, strong man. If you know Jake Carmen, I go, I get it. I get it. He goes, no, he's like, no, you got to really impose your will. And, and all those great wrestlers that he's coached and still coaches is never about being on your heels. It's about pressing, always pressing, offensively pressing. And I really believe that's how we have to be. Not that we're running ahead of the Lord. As John Wooden, the great coach, used to say, Quickly, but not in a hurry. And it took me a long time to understand what he meant by that. But quickly means there is a sense of urgency, but not in a hurry where you get sloppy. Quickly, but not in a hurry. Life is short. Make it count, but don't be sloppy. And you take chances. You know, John Wooden used to allow turnovers when you have Temple basketball. He was okay with the turnovers. What he wasn't okay with was less than your best effort. Press the tempo, press the tempo, press the tempo. So I look at Gideon tonight, I go, you know what? This just reminds me that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the tempo he was pressing with Gideon, with the Midianites, is the same tempo he wants to press through my life and this church and in your life personally going forward in 2022. The enemy would have us believe that everything's about like playing for a tie right now and pool play till the next shoe drops off or something. Or it rains spaghetti and meatballs. That's not at all the worldview that, that the angel of the Lord wants us to have. The view that we need to have is look in the mirror and say, you know what, God sees me as a mighty woman of valor, a mighty man of valor, and I need to be seeking the kingdom, and I need to be pressing in and figuring out what he's got next, and I need to get after it. I need to get my game on and get after it. We're not just sitting here on the bench watching pool play soccer while my teammates are out there waiting to, to settle for a, tie, a scoreless game so we can advance. And no, we are pressing the tempo to be engaged. And this story of Gideon tells me that. Our availability, how he sees us, no excuses. We don't need to say, how can I save Israel? Like he says in verse 15, we just need to say, here I am, Lord, send me like Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6. That's it. So I think it's really important for all of us in this congregation tonight to be thinking about what is it new or the next thing that God wants to do in my life. We're watching Luke Caldwell's new show. Many of you remember Luke coming here doing worship all those years at Grand Prize and then Esterlin. You know, he did Boise Boys out of this park on HGTV. Incredible. It's like a flipper flop show and incredible show. So good. But his new show, uh, it's called Outgrowth. What is it, Jennifer? Outgrown. Outgrown. It's a home expansion show. It's on HGTV. You can get it. It's so good. It is so good. And all I can think is, his TV show, Boise Boys, was really, really good. Really good. But Outgrown is even better. And I texted him today, and I said, you know, because he's a sports guy, I go, I said, Boise Boys are like elite Division I, because Luke was a great athlete. So when we're saying Division I, these people understand, it's like, hey, like Pac-10, Pac-12, you know, like Big Ten football. It was elite. Boise Boys was elite as in a sports analogy, or it just, it's just elite. But man, he found a whole nother gear without grown. It's better. It's, the, it's so good. And I just said, Luke, I'm so proud of you and Clint and your producers and what you've done. You find another gear. 
And he's adopted all those special needs children from China and Ukraine, and he has them on the show, and you're just drawn in, and he's shining for Jesus on this national TV show, and you're just drawn in. It, it's, it's another level. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to take us to another level. Not just to be playing in the NFL, but to be a pro bowler in the NFL. Like, take it to another level. And the story of Gideon reminds us that. Because it's not what Gideon starts with, it's what God's going to do through him. I will be with you, an army of one with the king of kings. And we need to be reminded tonight, that's what God has for us. Now we read on as he goes forward. So the angel of the Lord's like, hey, you're going to be an army of one. Then he said to him, verse 17, if I've now found favor, this is Gideon, in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. He brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and the fire rose out of the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel Lord departed out of his sight. So Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still an Oprah of the Abrazites. So this is how the deal is sealed. The offering, the Lord departs, dimensions, transcends dimensions. And this altar is built, and Gideon says, The Lord is Peace. That's good to know when you're about to go to war with inferior numbers. When you're facing being fired or terminated or a difficult court case or a doctor visit where you're not sure what you have or don't have, it's good to know that the Lord, Lord, you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I to thee. And we're told to be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, let our requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a reminder to this guy who saw himself as the least in his high school yearbook, talking to the angel of the Lord who sees him as the one, as an army of one, to deliver, to de- defeat the entire innumerable multitude of enemies in their land. Because it's never about what's on the other side, it's about who's on the throne. It's not about what the Midianites are doing with their camels and taking your donkeys. It's about who's on the throne. And God allows everything. And everything going on in your life right now, God has allowed it. And the only real issue is, is are we building altars that says the Lord is peace over those fears and over those circumstances? So he's like, whoo, 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 man, the Lord is peace. Right, well, now you got to do something really hard. So get that figured out before you got to go tear down your dad's altars and have your life threatened. He, he, by the time it's just like, oh, the Lord is peace. Oh, I can sing of your love forever. Like, I can sing of your love forever, sing of your lover. And it's like, hey, now go tear down your dad's altars to Baal. Verse 25. Now it came to pass that same night. So same night, it's like, wow, I've met the Lord. I've seen the Lord. I, we can do this. The Lord is peace. And then the same night, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. Take the second bull, offer a burnt, offer, a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. 
So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household, the men of the city, too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he's torn down the altar of Baal, and because he's cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Don't you just love that? Like, isn't it wonderful when the children influence the adults? Isn't it wonderful when you impact the older generation to look to Jesus? Dad built an altar to Baal in the backyard. And now we know that Gideon actually has servants. So for a guy that's the least in his household, he's got some employees. But he's still afraid. And he asked for a sign, and God gave him the sign when the angel of the Lord went up. So that's his first sign. So already got one sign. And he does this at night, so give him credit. Sometimes it's hard to do difficult things, but just do them. Stammer through it, stumble through it. But if you know it's what you're supposed to do, get it done. Find a way. As it says in Proverbs, the wise man scales the city wall and takes the city. A wise woman, a wise man, you find a way. And we know what God's called you to do, find a way. When we were out at the wedding last week, Timmy's good friend, Christian Warden, um, he's a project manager now. And somehow, we, I don't know how it came up, but he said, we said, we're talking about problems. He goes, never problems, just solutions. Right? You guys know plumbing like Devin over there, people at work. You know, Susan, when you ran Roxy, isn't it? don't tell them about the problems. Just solutions. We don't want to hear about problems. We know there's problems. Just solutions. Find a way. Find a way. Find a way. And if the Lord's telling you to do it, isn't there going to always be a way? Yeah. Just get it done. And he got it done. And getting it done, he, the dad looks at the courage of the son. He's like, man, my son is out of the cave, and he's down here ripping down altars to Baal. And they would have known the prophet spoke to them all. This is because of your disobedience. And they're just looking for someone to rise up and turn the tide. It's like when, a, again, they use a sports analogy, like in football, can just be going against you, going against you, the bad call, the bad, you know, you do a good play, there's a penalty. Just like when it goes against you, it goes against you. And it's like surfing is the same way. When you're caught inside, you're caught inside, you miss the wave, the set sequence comes, it all goes wrong. It can go wrong in the ocean pretty quickly competing, and it can go wrong on a football field pretty quickly, right? But then all of a sudden, you just somehow, you just need a break. You just, in football, you just need someone to... Like I told Timmy this week, like, playmakers need to make plays. You know, I was a chaplain for over 10 years at Calvary. Like, somebody step up and make a play. Make a play. Just make a play. Break the, break, the, break the sequence. Just someone get out there and put a hit on somebody and someone go make a play. And that's what happened here. They're losers. They're losing. Their, their food's being taken. Their livestock's being taken. They got all their altars to all the wrong gods. Someone needs to step up and make a play, and it's Gideon, the army of one. And the first battle is not against the Midianites, against his people who have compromised their faith and their convictions. And it's his own dad in particular. And he goes for it. He made a play. 
You know, sometimes you need a little pushing and shoving, maybe a yellow card in soccer. Sometimes you just need a little bit of, little bit of this, you need a little bit of that. You know, let people know, like, yeah. Like, sometimes you just got to go and you got to tear down those altars. Who's burning this ox right here? Yeah. My son is. You come to my house and threaten my son for Baal? Are you going to plead for Baal? I've never been more proud of my son in my entire life. Son, thanks for ripping down my altars and, all, and offering my livestock when there's hardly any in the land. See, that's, that's leadership. That's inspiration. Gideon's the real deal. Once you're a mighty man or mighty woman of God, you're the real deal. You get after it. Oh, God of peace. Woo, God of peace. Now go turn on your dad's altars. And look what happens. I love verse 31. Would you plead for Baal? What a, I mean, just, it's like when people who are religious get offended because they're, someone's offending their religion. I mean, for, since I've been serving the Lord for 30 plus years, you know, like the last temptation of Christ, remember that in the 80s, and they put blasphemous Jesus on their cover, and people make Jesus transgender, people make Jesus this, people make Jesus this and that, all these blasphemous things that people have done for the last 30 years I've been in the ministry. Jesus doesn't need me to, def- I wrote a letter to Time Magazine, by the way, though, when the last temptation of Christ came out in 88, I was so fired up, I wrote a letter to Time Magazine, they didn't print or anything, but. I felt better, but it's not like Jesus needs us to defend him. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Like, everything in the universe is made by him and for him and held together in him. Do you think he needs me and you going like, hey, man, who tore down the cross in front of our church? We're going to get you. Yeah, it's not good that people tear down a cross or burn churches down like they're doing around the planet right now. But, like, when they came for Jesus and Peter pulls out his little sword, like, cut your ear off. Jesus like, can I not call down like 6,000 angels right now and just floor these people like I just did before you? God's on the throne. See, world religions, they need to stick up for their philosophies and their gods because they are their philosophies and they are the God. But Jesus is more than capable of proving who he is to anyone who doubts his presence, his person, his promises, and his coming kingdom. So... I'm like, I'm gonna be like, hey, who did this? We're gonna get you and we're gonna forget about it, man. Just make sure you keep singing in the congregation. If you're here Saturday, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> would you plead for Baal? Okay, we read on verse 31. Would would you save him? See, the world religions, they gotta save Buddha, they gotta save Muhammad. They gotta, they gotta, they gotta save, you know, Marx. They gotta, they gotta save Darwin, they gotta save him. How dare you attack Darwin? Well, okay, let's just compare his worldview and what he calls science and Piltdown Man and all these other different people that are pig's teeth and a dog's brain. Let's just, let's just, that's the comparative. Let's, we're fine to compare the Bible to Darwin, but they won't let you do that because they have to defend Darwin. They have to control the, the, the storyline. <laughs> let God be true and every man a liar. It's not that the word of God and archaeology and science doesn't reprove Darwin. It's like the Darwinists just won't let that happen because they have to defend Darwin. They're a little monkey god. You come from a monkey, you act like a monkey. Ah, 
and did so much harm to this Russian people in the last hundred years. But they chose it, and God allowed it. Monkey? Adam. And they don't go together, so don't ever think that would work. Would you save him? Let one, of, let one who would plead for him be put to death by mourning. So now the dad's saying, like, you want to plead for him? We'll put you to death. And this is what he says about Baal. This is the best. If he is God, let him plead for himself. Because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called them Jerubbabal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. I just love this, man. This is just such a good story. This really happened. It's like when Elijah and the, and the prophets of Baal are there on Mount Carmel years later. And, and Elijah's like, okay, like, you guys go first. <laughs> you go first. You get first serve. You won the opening toss to kick off. We like to receive. Okay, you go first. All day long cutting themselves. He's like, maybe he's gone to the bathroom. It literally says that. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. God is more than able. Would you plead for Baal? The better question is, would we stand for Christ? That's the better question. We don't have to defend Christ. We're told to give a reason for the hope that's in us. But it's not so much that we have to defend Christ. We just need to stand for Christ. That's why the Bible says, having done all, stand. Having done all, stand. He who denies me before men, I'll deny before my father. But he who confesses me before men, I'll confess before my father. We just stand. That's, that's church history. Verse 33, then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together. They crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet. And the Abrazites gathered around him, that's his people. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered to him. He also sent messengers to the surrounding tribes. That would be Asher, Zebedee, and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. Man, it's amazing. One person. See, I'm the least, but God says, no, you're the mighty woman. You're the mighty man. And that one person just being available to him, her who has, more will be given. So they have because the calling's there. And then they act upon it, and they do the first thing they're called to do. To him who has, more will be given. They tear down the altar of Baal in dad's backyard. And now, dad's not only inspired, the town's saying like, hey, you know, that's, what do they say? It's like, uh, they call it like, therefore, the, the day he called him Jerubbabal, saying the Baal plead against him because he has torn down the altar. Like, they give him a new name. He's a bad dude, man. He's, he's a bad dude. He tore down Baal's altar. Like, they changed his name. He got a name change. Like, they, like in his hometown, like, dude, he's a bad dude. What's, it's Gideon. He's nobody. He's the least in the least family in the least other. No, no, no. And he's the dude that said, let Baal, t-, you know, like, him and his dad, they just took on Baal, man. They're bad dudes. They changed the whole dynamic of the village and the whole atmosphere. Now we've got the mojo going for the kingdom. Because available men and women are stepping up. And now it's just not Gideon and his dad. Now it's not just his own family within the tribe of Manasseh. It's all Manasseh. Now Naphtali, Zebulun, they're coming. This is what obedience to the call of God does. When you go in the strength of yours, mighty woman, mighty man of valor. It inspires other people. And we need to be inspiring other people right now. Find your vehicle. Know your calling. 
and pursue excellence in that by the power of the Holy Spirit in November 2021. And inspire other people as they see your purpose-driven life. I'm not a big Rick Warren thing today, but I'm just going to stay with that for now. Because your life does have purpose. And when you're all in, it shows to the world, I belong to Christ. These are my convictions. We talked about this Saturday night, that you can get canceled. But really, you can never cancel Christ or the call of Christ. So you don't really get canceled. You can't cancel the kingdom of God. Like, you just can't. You can reject it, but you can't cancel it. That's what we need to be thinking about. Anyone that will listen to me, the study on podcast, on the YouTube channel, we as a church need to be thinking right now, get after it, figure out what it is that is uniquely you and the Holy Spirit coming upon you because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and what that looks like for you in your life right now, from the youngest to the oldest. That's what we need to be thinking about. We can't be thinking about all the stuff we have no control over. We need to be thinking about being on our knees and the tongues of fire on our head and in our heart and the mighty woman that you are, the mighty man that you are, and get after it and be faithful with the current things so he'll give you more things and won't take the one thing you have and give it to someone else because you wouldn't do it. We're not here like waiting for the end of the world. We're engaging the world. It's a different world than two years ago, but we're engaging it because the king is still on the throne. And then the last verse is here tonight, verse 36. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, it shall dry all around the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. That's miraculous. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out the dew in the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, now, do not be angry with me, but uh, let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on the ground there will be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on the ground. Again, don't you just love how God meets us where we're at? Isn't it really neat to think that God does little miracles in your life? There's like little miracles he does in your life that are supernatural, that if you're on the frequency, you hear it, you see it, and you're like, oh my goodness, like that was totally the Lord. Like, how, how could that be? I'll give you a good example. We got some kids coming out from the East Coast to compete at NSSA Nationals in a few weeks at Huntington Beach, the big surfing contest that got canceled because of the oil spill, so it got delayed and it's rescheduled. So, there's a really good surfer in Vero Beach, Florida. A little kid goes to Calgary Chapel, Vero Beach. I've met him. First time coming to California to compete at nationals. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll coach you. Come on out. We'll meet at the cliffs. We'll, we'll do some training, get you ready. It's always intimidating for an East Coast surfer to come to California first time to compete against the big Californians, the Hawaiians at nationals. It's very intimidating. So we want to slow the game down for them. We'll do that. And I thought, well, you know, the best thing I can do um, for Cole is these kids I used to coach is have him do some sparring with them and it'll build his confidence. I need Cole to surf with some of the really good amateurs that were younger when I left the team. Just like you do in all your sports, right? All your sports people understand this. and It'll give him some confidence. Just put a jersey on before he does nationals. It'll slow the game down for him. And I was like, I need to, you know, I thought about it. I go, well, probably the best people, probably the most available people that still follow me on Instagram, and I still follow them, Petey Romanuk. Yeah, Petey Romanuk's a little ripper, man. That guy owns the south side of the pier right now. He's like 15, 16. Juju, his, da- his sister. Yeah. 
I need to find a way. I need to DM the Romanukes and see what I can do and see if I can get them to spar and train with uh, Cole when he comes out here. No sooner, like, I go to this post office on Atlanta. A couple times a week, I'm usually there for about one minute because I don't put anything in the box anymore because our mail got stolen and our checks were forged. So I put it inside the post office. I park, I put it in. Use about one minute. So in the whole course of a week, how many minutes are in the course of a week? I'm in that post office maybe two minutes a week, max. Wouldn't you know, I'm praying about connecting with the Romanuks. I'm walking out. Here comes, it's Joey. It's Petey Romanuk's dad. Don't you love those little miracles? Don't you love those little miracles? Like, wow, this, t- I was like, hey, Pete, yeah, how you doing? Hey, I was going to call you. Like, why would you be calling me? Well, because this kid's coming out from Vero Beach, and we'd love to do that. Isn't that cool how the Lord does that? What's the law of compound probability that I'm going to be at the post office when Pete Romanuk's there, and this is already on my heart, and God's put it on my heart as I've prayed about it, and I've been praying for this, and there he is. Don't you love the little miracles when the fleece is dry and the ground is wet? And the fleece is wet and the ground is dry? That's our God. He's very personal. Don't, we don't want to miss the beauty of things like the butterfly or smelling the plumerias and stuff like that. But you want, to, you want to go like, this is the Lord. And you want to embrace that moment right away. Like, hey, it's confirmation. It's confirmation. You've got the right thought, the right idea, and you're going in the right direction. Amen? Yeah, go in the strength of yours, mighty woman of valor, mighty man of valor.